0: Deep is not an ordinary podcast about dating. Let's get Wicked Deep is a dating podcast where tough questions are asked and honest answers are given. It's a place to begin meaningful conversations and lasting impressions. Let's get Wicked Deep, a healthy dating resource. Welcome to another episode of Let's Get Wicked Deep, a dating podcast. On today's show, I'm excited to welcome and introduce everyone to Jivani Blair West. Jivani is an author, an online dating coach, and a relationship coach, and she has a new book that has launched, which is also super exciting. So So thank you so much, Jivani Blair West, for coming on my show today. I'm really excited to have you. Um, I know it's been a little bit of a touch and go sort of situation with us, with you being on uh, the other side of the world down under, I think they call it. Um, and it's, it's exciting to do these podcasts and meet so many amazing people. I'm really excited to have you on the show today. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. And thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: You are so welcome. So you are like a double whammy. You are not only a relationship and attraction coach, but you're also an author, which is super exciting. I'm excited Um, to hear about both your book and about what you do and how how your book came to life and and how it's going to help a lot of people. So how to make the biggest decision of your life is the name of your book.
1: Yes, that's correct.
0: So tell us a little bit about this incredible book that you just recently released.
1: Yeah. So, um, Me and my dad actually worked on this book together. My dad is a psychotherapist who specialises in relationships too. And so we came together on this project recognising the power of having two generations come together and speak about relationships and dating because obviously so much has changed in the last 30 years, Um, but also so much remains the same. And one of the reasons why we wanted to write this book is because there are already so many books out there about how to have a better relationship And yes, there's a lot of wisdom in those books, but particularly what my father learned from his work with couples is that you can have all of the wisdom in the world thrown at you. But if one of you isn't committed to developing that relationship and just not on the same page, then it's really not going to be solved, the issues within the relationship. So we wrote this book to focus on the first part and getting the first part right, which is choosing a partner to have a relationship with.
0: Mm, choosing a partner so that's not obviously as easy as going to the grocery store and picking out what kind of milk you want we all, yeah we all know how difficult it is to choose a partner I hear a lot of times in the dating world dating community date someone who or find someone who and it's like find them where exactly they are not Going to be on the shelf in a store waiting for us to just go, oh, pick them up. This one communicates well. This one has a great job. Come home with me. This one stinks. Return it. So how how do you feel it is best to go about finding someone that you want to actually spend your life with?
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, you just spoke to something really important, which is a lot of people go out looking for love and looking to find love. But one of the things we wanted to explore in the book too is how can you build love? That's a more pertinent question. And with that too, choosing someone to build love with and recognising that it's a choice. So we were also kind of unpacking this myth of the one, that one day you'll meet the perfect person, you'll fall in love and everything else will fall into place. And this is what we call romantic destiny, And it gets a lot of people into trouble because it works under the premise that love is enough, that all you need to have a healthy, long-term relationship is those feelings of love, which anyone who's been through a divorce can attest to is that love is actually not enough. You can love someone, you can have these feelings for someone, but that doesn't mean they're going to be a
0: compatible life partner I love that because it's so true. I hear that often as well. Like, oh, if you love them, I can't leave because I love him. Oh, my gosh. I love my chicken sandwich, but I don't trust it. I don't respect it. I don't think it's honest, but I love it. You know, So it's like there's a whole big difference between – love is amazing. I think love is the best thing in the world, but that's not what a relationship is built on. You can't build – I often say love is like the whipped cream on top of your ice cream. So, but if you take your whipped cream and you put the ice cream on top, what's going to happen? It's not going to work. It's not solid, you know? So yeah, I really, really love that. And it's, it is hard to get people to understand that love is just simply not enough.
1: Yeah. And one of the most interesting statistics that we came across through the course of writing this book is a mathematician, Dr. Professor Epstein, no relation to the other guy. But he is a researcher on relationships, and he came to the statistic that if we were to potentially meet everyone in the world, we could potentially fall in love with 350,000 people. Now, of course, we're not going to meet everyone in the world, but even if you wind that back to like 0.01% and take like 100 people that you could meet in your lifetime and feel love for and fall in love with... Um, it's of those people that we want to examine who's going to be the best choice.
0: I think the biggest thing is uh, choosing, is being able yeah. to to choose, right? Like it's like it I'm choosing. Power. Yeah, yeah, because it's there's a huge difference between like need and want, and it's yeah. you need someone, well, you don't need anyone, you want someone, and the deal with wanting someone. Is you get you get to choose who that is, and I think that's such a powerful, exciting sort of thing. And like going back to like what you said about the one, if anyone you know can't see my air quotes, the one, where I don't think there really is a perfect person for you. I think it's two people that choose to choose each other and make it so it's like, yeah, this is like the one I wanna spend my life with no one's gonna come to us like ready-made like a chicken sandwich you can go through the drive-thru you can order the chicken sandwich it's going to come to you the way that you want it to but again you don't respect it you don't trust it but you love it so it's building you know and creating together and choosing each other I love this so exciting so how long did it take you and your dad which is also kind of amazing to write this book
1: Yeah, so the funny thing is my dad had this in the works for about eight years um, from when he first thought about it to completion, but he shelved it for a few years because he found when he was talking to his generation of baby boomers about um, these ideas, they were saying things like, well, you don't choose your partner. And they were much more entwined with this vision of romantic destiny and the one, right? And so he felt, well, this book's not going to sell, so I'm just going to shelve it. But it wasn't until a few years later that he was doing a TED talk and he was talking about this idea. And afterwards, he still had some comments from people in his generation who weren't quite with him on the whole prevention of divorce, which is what his talk was about. How can we prevent divorce by choosing the right partner? But he did have a few young millennials come up to him and say, tell us more. And the beauty of that was they had been through divorce. They had grown up in an era where divorce was relatively normal. So they were totally disillusioned with this idea of the one and love being enough. And they were ready to learn how can we make better decisions. So that's when he brought me on board for this book. Um, I worked on it with him for another four years. And, yeah, we really wanted to speak to all ages really, but knowing that millennials are the most receptive at this point in time, and many of them haven't been married before, and they're starting to get into more serious relationships. We really wanted to speak to them and support them in their decisions going forward.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. When you first said, um, because we didn't discuss that in the pre-show that you wrote this with your dad, so that was kind of like, wait, what? And it's two different different generations. So you've got like, I don't know what generation you are, because you look so young, so I don't know what you are. But you know, we've got like the boomers, and then the you know X, which is me, and then the millennials. And it seems like when we're talking about dating, when we're talking about like mixing generations, until I started dating someone from a different generation from me, I thought that was just like, what's the big deal? It's a huge deal. It's yeah. a huge deal, and it's a funny because the person that I've been seeing. He's a millennial, but just by like this much. And then I'm an ex just by like this much. So, but our differences are so different. So I would assume that writing a book about this would be good, having the two different like perspectives kind of coming together.
1: Yeah, I think it was an amazing process to explore the generational differences and also to bridge them. Definitely. And in my work, I've worked with people in their 50s, 70s, 60s, and and of course, their 20s and 30s and 40s. That was a cumbersome way of just laying it out, but 20 to 70, right? And I can definitely see, I didn't want to leave anyone out. Um, I could definitely see there are generational differences in the way that we view and approach dating and relationships. And it's important to recognize that to move forward.
0: It it is insane how how different it is. And for me, I can speak my own personal experience was being married for a long time and then getting into a toxic relationship. So the two people that I had been involved with were from the same generation as me. So we all kind of had like the same idea of what relationships Mm -hmm. look like. But when you bring in someone younger who has this whole new way of thinking, add that to like my lack of dating experience, if you will. It turned into something super confusing for me at the beginning until I started to like really unpack it and kind of understand all of it and, you know, kind of get to a place where I was like, okay, this really isn't so bad. I've just got to adjust to you know what this millennial is doing to me. Um, but it's been good. It's been well, a good- it's
1: you know, Some of the specifics of that, like what were the biggest culture shock moments for you when those two generations became
0: apparent? When did it come apparent? Well, what were some moments that really confused you or shocked you? So the one thing that I still can't really wrap my mind around is um, being friends with the opposite sex. So, not like a person can't be friends with someone of the opposite sex. But in, like, my generation, we don't do that. Like, you, like... And it's funny, because I talked to my brother, who will never listen to this, so this is okay. So, I talked to my brother, and I'm like, hey... Because my brother was a little bit of a player, if you will. So, I called him one day. I'm like, hey. I'm like, all oh, those, girls, those girls you were friends with? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, does your wife know that you were friends with them? And he's like, No. He's like, no, he, she has no idea that I either, you know, he had like relationships with them or whatever. And he's like, as soon as I met her and was with her, all those other girls were like gone. I didn't really keep in touch with any of them. So, and he's from my generation, but then the millennials are more of like, oh no, this is like totally normal. This is like what we do. So for me, I'm like, no, that's not what I do in my generation. We don't do that. Not saying that it's a bad thing or that it's not allowed, but it's something I need to get used to where it's like. In my generation, you're friends with the opposite sex because you want to have sex, you know? It's like a romantic sort of thing. It's not just like friends. So I, being older, have like a little bit of difficulty wrapping my mind around that. Like, what? So I'm getting there. I'm like, okay, I'm accepting it because it's more important to me to have the guy than it is to like have my generational rights You know what I mean? So I'd rather take the time and get used to it and understand it versus get upset about it and then try to move on to someone else because I don't want to do that. So that was one of the things that I was like, "Mm, this is really interesting. Mm.
1: I love that things are becoming more transparent. Mm -hmm. And I feel that you know, this is particularly true of relationships is that so much of our modeling comes from our parents and then it comes from their parents and their parents and in this way so many wounds get passed down until they are healed by a generation and I feel like every generation does a bit of healing mm-hmm. and we have so much to learn from younger generations as well mm-hmm. and it- really beautiful thing to see things moving in the right direction you know there are so many beautiful conversations about masculinity these days and what does that actually mean and what's healthy masculinity what's toxic masculinity etc
0: and so the fact that these conversations are happening is definitely a great step forward yeah i think it's i think it's really great i think it's like eye-opening i think it's but it's interesting because when you have a a, like a, a situation like i have and if i say to like someone one of my friends of my generation they're like no you can't trust it and it's like, I'm in this, you're not in this. Like, what do you mean? Like, I can't trust, like, I feel like I can. So it's, it's one of those things where it's like, even people in your own generation are like, no, that just doesn't sound right. But then if you talk to someone in a different generation, like, yeah, what's wrong with that? Like, that sounds totally normal. So it's one of those things where it's like this. It's like what you were saying, like you find someone that you really want to be with and you choose to make it work. So easily I could be like, you know what? I'm gonna go find someone in my generation who understands my stuff. I'm not dealing with this but I don't want that. I want the person that I'm choosing. So when you choose the person, it's going all in and understanding and having the, the right dialogue and you know figuring stuff out a on your own and together. you know so it, it comes I think it comes right back to like yeah, this is the person I'm choosing to be with so I'm gonna figure this stuff out.
1: Yeah. And I feel like, too, as long as he's being open and transparent about it, then you don't have anything to worry about. It's more when people hide their relationships with the opposite sex, then that would be a bit of an alarm bell.
0: Yeah. And he definitely doesn't do that. So it's like, but at first, it like knocked me off my rocker, I guess, because I'm so old. I'm like, wait, what is this? And now I'm just like, okay. And then I think about like the friends that I have of the opposite sex. And I'm like, well, I'm not doing anything with them. They're just my friends. But at the same time, since I've been like dating him or whatever, my friendships have not dwindled, but I don't see them as much because now you have this going on. So it's definitely like, and I don't notice like the dwindling on the millennial side where it's still like, no, this is like my friend. We're going to keep hanging out, which is fine. But it's like, oh, it's interesting how like mine kind of dwindle and his, you know, don't. So it's just mixing it and then being okay with everything and having that open communication and understanding, which helps a ton because it's, choosing, you know, Mm -hmm. to understand it. So not always easy, but it's definitely possible, especially when you find someone that you really want to be with. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's, it's really interesting with all that stuff going on. Um, so a question that I like to ask a lot of the authors, um, that I have on the show is about a book dedication. Did you Mm -hmm. dedicate your book to anyone?
1: Yeah. Um, both me and my dad wrote dedications, um, to our partners and to our clients who teach us so much so Mm -hmm. that was a beautiful gift I didn't tell my husband um until I actually got the book in my hands because he was such a beautiful part of the editing process and support as I was talking through ideas
0: so it was a nice little surprise to give to him. Uh, I love that was he excited?
1: Yeah. At first, cause I said, um, have a look on the first page. He thought that I would just hand him
0: something
1: and then he almost missed it, but then he saw it and he was very touched.
0: Oh, I love that. That's so amazing. Um, I love, I think the dedications of a book are just the most, um, exciting part of it. It's most emotional usually. Um, and I think it's, Mm -hmm. it's really fun to do that. Like I was excited to do the dedications for my books when I was writing them. Um, So now in your book that you wrote with your amazing dedication to your husband and editor. um, So the whole premise of the thing is making the biggest decision of your life and finding someone. So do you have like in your book or anywhere else like like a red flag list or like certain things we should be looking out when we're looking for our partners?
1: Yeah. Um, So there's a whole couple of chapters dedicated to six important things to focus on um we call these green flags too so of course there's red flags and red flags are important in disqualifying people who aren't a good match for you but green flags are equally important to know that you know you should be moving forward that not only are they not a bad match but they're actually a good match um so within that chapter i won't go through all of them but i'll go through the first few um So, for example, the first one and probably the most important telltale sign um, when it comes to choosing a partner is figuring out, do you have aligned vision and values? And this comes off the back of the John Gottman research. He's a researcher into relationships. He's got a fabulous body of work, a whole website dedicated to his research. And he became famous for being able to tell within like 20 minutes or so whether or not a relationship is going to make it for the long haul. And this was one of the things he paid attention to is does the couple have aligned vision and values? And I think particularly if you're a single person listening to this or reading the book, it's such a magical time and an important time to get clear for yourself. What is your vision for your life? Not just for relationships, but your whole life. And then working backwards from that, how is a meaningful long-term relationship going to fit with that vision? So our vision questions, like one of the biggest ones, we can start there, that really comes up a lot more today than it probably ever has before in previous generations is do you or don't you want kids? Because now we have so much more choice in that equation and I see so many couples who fall in love and get together. One partner definitely wants kids and the other one is ambivalent or doesn't think they want kids. And when these two people love each other, but that's such a key part of their visions and it's in conflict, that can become a very challenging relationship to pursue. So what we want to make sure too and why it's important to get in touch with this as an individual when you're single is what do I want? Because once we're in a relationship, we can so easily fall into, I love this person, I'm going to like compromise my values and compromise my vision to make this work. Um, But I think it's so important to figure out for ourselves where our ship is sailing before hitching to
0: someone else's shit yeah that's a huge I think those are some I think like what you just said was like like mind-blowing like what is your vision and then does a relationship fit into that vision that is like genius you know where it's like yeah because if you meet someone who their career is like you know number one going through like realistically will a relationship fit into this you know or you know somebody who wants to have kids or whatever you know like will a relationship fit into your plan and if it's it, a...
1: like where do you want to live do you want to live in a country or the city yeah you know, do you want to live in an acreage or an apartment some people are happy with either some people want to live in the middle of new york you know oh. and other people want to go and live out on a farm or something
0: yeah neither one, so one of those they're... sound good to me but yeah <laughs>
1: One important thing to think about when it comes to vision too, it doesn't mean that you have to have exactly the same vision and values. And Mm -hmm. we do tend to put vision and values together because our values inform our vision or our vision informs our values. Um, But I would consider thinking about what are your top five vision, uh, sorry, top five values for life. So these can be things like career or family, um, fun, connection, um you know you can google a whole list of values there's heaps out there but figuring out what are your top five and then exploring when you're in the dating phase with a partner where do they meet you on that now as i said they don't have to have exactly the same values in exactly the same order but what we want to be on the lookout for is do they have any conflicting values you know political values can be a big example of that yeah Um, it can be really challenging to date someone who's the total opposite in political values or even religious values. So these are things that we do have to take into consideration.
0: I think another problem or issue, I think that kind of arises with the different generations is, um, I'm noticing more and more that millennials are not really super psyched about getting married. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's kind of like, and then in my generation, it's like, well, yeah, I get married, you know? Um, so that's one thing I have picked up on is, You know, marriage, like how important I think like is marriage to one person, two people, whatever, before they get into something. Because I do think that a lot of women will hear a man say, I don't want to get married. And a lot of times the woman hears challenge accepted, you know, so Mm -hmm. I'm going to treat this person Like, I'm his wife, I'm going to take care of him, I'm going to love him, I'm going to do all these things. And then in five or ten years or whatever, and he's like, yeah, no, I don't want to get married, I told you that. She's going to be like, but I did all these things. No, all you really did was accept a challenge that really wasn't given to you. You know, so I think a lot of people will tell us what they want, we just have to listen to it.
1: Mm. And we have a whole chapter about that too, actually. And we looked into the research of John T. Malloy, who interviewed thousands of people, um, some in couples, some who were single, and he was exploring the question, why do men marry some women and not others? Because there are also examples where one man will say, "Um, I don't want to get married, and then you're in a relationship with them for three years and you're hoping, like you say, that it'll change and then it doesn't and you break up and then six months later or 18 months later he's married someone else and it's like, what the fuck, you know?
0: Yes, it's, I thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay because it's the frustration because it is the thing it's like I was with you and you would not marry me and now you're married to Susie Q what does she have that I don't have like what the heck happened So yeah it's legit you know that happens like yeah. what the heck
1: And so part of the research actually says like don't play games around it be very clear that you want marriage and that's important to you not in a manipulative way. Um, but just in a clear way, like, this is what I want in my vision and in my values, and if you're not able to meet me there, then I'm going to have to move on and find someone else, but no hard feelings, you know, and just laying that on the table um, and giving it a, a bit of a time limit. Like, you might say, okay, um, if we've been living together for a year and he's still not interested in marriage, then I'm going to have to move on.
0: I think that's a, yeah, I kind of like that whole, like, timeframe thing. And I think what happens with a lot of people is they want to say stuff in like a normal human way, but it comes out as like a threat or an ultimatum, you know, and where...
1: it, be a threat. it yeah. should just be like, by the way, this is something that I value and this is important to me. And if you want to be with me, then that's part of my future. And if that's, if you don't want to be with me, and that's um, not important enough to you, then
0: we might have to part ways. I think that's a really good way to put it because I have (laughs) heard, you know, like, if you don't marry me, then I'm leaving. It's like, oh, and And the research showed that the women who did get married, they dropped hints and they made that clear mm -hmm. rather than just poking. Yeah, because I know a lot of times with men, we have to let them have their own ideas. But I also think as women, we can encourage those ideas in different ways that they don't realize we're encouraging those ideas because if it's his idea... He's going to love it, even though it literally came from us. So I think that's like a really great way to do it. Um, so I hate to do it, but we have to wrap up. We've, had, we've hit our time. I feel like I could talk to you for like 100 years. Um, this has been such a great conversation about your book, about your coaching, about everything that you and your dad did, which is so amazing. So if people want to get in touch with you, if they want to work with you or find out more about you, where can they find you?
1: Yes, yeah, so I invite you to come check out my website, jivany.com. I'm sure the link will be in the show notes. So you can follow me on Instagram at Givanie Blair West. Um, you can order our book on Amazon online. So have a look for that. It's how to make the biggest decision of your life. And lastly, if you are getting stuck into online dating and want to learn how to put your best foot forward, I have a little free guide to maximizing your online dating profile.
0: So you can jump on over to my website, download that, and get started. I have um, pop up envy. Um, We were talking about that before, but yes, I did see that on your amazing website, which I love, but I want to say thank you so much, Tiffany, for coming on my show today. It's been so amazing uh, getting to know you and talking to you about all the amazing things you're accomplishing. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you for having me, Kelly. It's been a pleasure.
0: Yes, you're so welcome. Thank you. You enjoyed today's episode of Let's Get Wicked Deep, a dating podcast. To find out more information about anything you heard on today's show, please check out bebravecoaching.org.